Okay, so I had a vision last night where I must have been around my mom or something. Um, well, I don't know what it was that was going on. It's still blurry. But all I know is I woke up around noon and all I know is I heard my little brother and he said, here you go. I got her back for you. Like I didn't mean to do it or something or, you know, I see now, I get it now. You know, I think even something pertaining to, I can see now that, you know, you care about her more than our whole family. That's what was translated to me. But what I heard specifically, and this matters, the truth matters, the details matter, because oftentimes when you when you add the extra stuff that you picked up on that you didn't hear specifically, it could change the entire narrative and the entire story, even if it's just one small detail. So the specific, actual, literal details are the fact that I heard my brother say, I got her back for you. That's what I heard. Here you go. I got her back for you. And it didn't feel like I was fighting much. But it hasn't felt like I was fighting much lately. But I know that that is a lie of Satan because he wants me to believe that I'm not fighting much. The thing is, maybe that's true. Maybe I could be fighting a whole lot harder. But in reality, you know, as much as he lies to make me believe that even when I am fighting my hardest, it doesn't make a difference. Then other days it's like, why aren't you fighting your hardest? Like, I thought you said I wasn't fighting at all. Which one is it? So I don't really believe him anyways. Or nor do I trust anything that he says or does or sins. So it's not that I really care about that. I mean, I care about it. I care that I want to be fighting as hard as I can from whoever's understanding. Because the thing is that, you know, Satan, he's such a liar, but it'll get to a point where even you've made it known to even him who you are and where you stand. He is such a liar. He'll try to convince you you're not doing anything. But if you fight very hard and stand in the spirit of God, even he won't deny you. So I try my best to still get the understanding even with him. Not that it matters really because as I said, he's a liar. And oftentimes he's going to try and work you to the bone and overwhelm you. So that you don't have the, the energy even for God. So you do have to, you know, 
listen to God and be led by him. It's very important to be led by him instead of proving a point to Satan. But as I said, the more that you fight for God and the more that you make it clear that you know that you are making a difference and you just believe that what you are what you intend to do is what you are doing. If you intend to inflame Satan with the Holy Spirit, that's what you're doing. If you intend to be, you know, encamped in the spirit of God, that's what you're doing. If you in, if you intend to be in God's presence, that's what you're fighting to be in. If you intend to fight for your family members to be in God's presence, that's what you're doing. God will lead you and guide you and give you instructions on how to elevate that the more that you go on. So, yes, it does feel like it can be true or may be true, but I won't let Satan talk me in circles. He's full of it, you know. Because today, I'll if I start if I start fighting my hardest today or or so called hardest today and doing everything that I possibly can to somehow, you know, fight Satan off of me and my family, he'll just come up with something random and make it seem as if like, you know, nothing that I'm doing matters. So, you know. I've learned that I'm learning that, you know, at some point you have to let go and trust God. And I'm, I've had so much difficulty letting go and trusting God lately because I feel like sometimes I just feel it's so selfish. Like you can leave the spirit realm. You can be out of it and live a normal life. A regular life out here on the streets, out here in this world. You can come back to the spirit realm whenever you feel like it. And you can start fighting in the spirit again for the things that you know and the things that you've seen. But I couldn't do it. Because what I realized while I was there is that, that the enemy and these agents of darkness, they never leave. They are there all the time. And I don't know if it's really torturing them or stressing them out as much as it's torturing and stressing me out. But if they working that hard to destroy my life and that's what got me to the place where they almost killed me, I need to be there all the time too. And I know they know who I am. They won't leave me alone. They're working overtime to set stuff up so that when I come back, if I leave, when I come back, I have a plethora of back work I got to get to before I can even catch up to them. In order to stay caught up to them, you have to stay there all the time. They're there all the time. They never leave. They never leave. They're there all the time in everything and all that they do. So when you realize that that's what you're up against, you know, you you don't want to leave. You don't want to leave because you're like, if I leave. I don't know what will happen to my brother. I don't know what happened to my sister. I don't know what happened to my niece. I don't know what happened to my mother. You, what will happen to you is probably your least concern. And then they also plunder your camp. So all of the work, hard work that you've put in and everything that you've done to work very hard to be in God's presence, the power, the, the spiritual gifts that he's bestowed on you because of your hard work, when you're not there, they can track you down, they can find it, and they will steal it. Now, another level of that is that you can get it back, but as I said, that's backward. You come back, you got to go get back all your stuff. You got to go find these other people, and then you got to go finish whatever battle that you didn't finish, you know, because it's always work to do when you left. 
So, you know, I'm going to go over the pros and the cons, actually. And then, and then on top of that, you know, what's also difficult is that, you know, they can control your body. They can control your body when you are not there. So there's no telling what they will take your body to go do. They will take your body to go, you know, if you have any type of rapport with God, then you may have rapport with other believers. They will take your body to go drag somebody else out of their faith, to go deter somebody from God. They will destroy all that you've built with your name. And people don't think that this is much important because they're saying at some point you got to rest. At some point you got to let go because they're just going to wear you out. But, you know, this is this is usually what makes the difference between actually, you know, actually making new ground with Satan and, and really breaking people out of hell. Really saving people. It's the difference, like just like with a regular job or a career here on Earth, you work overtime, you work those overtime hours where you barely get in any sleep. You get way more of a return. On your investment, your investment of time, your investment of hard work, your investment of blood, sweat, and tears later on in your career, 10 years down the line, you are the difference between you and your colleague who didn't work as hard as you. That's exactly what it's like in the spirit realm when you're building your rapport with God. Another thing, they will not be as afraid of you if you leave the spirit realm. If you leave the spirit realm and you are resting and you're like, I just can't, you know, I just got to rest and I don't really... You know, I don't really want to stay. They're going to start thinking, you're afraid. You're afraid of me. You're afraid of Satan. You're afraid of these demons. You're afraid of what I'll do to you. Not that their opinion matters, but it will make the difference. These demons are afraid of me. They are very afraid of me. When they hear me coming, they literally shiver. You know, a lot of them, they are whispering and talking like, did you hear her? Is she around? You know, have you seen her? Make sure you let me know. Keep up with her because we can't risk her, you know, being around. And we don't know about it. We can't risk her catching up to us. You want these demons to be afraid of you because that counts when you're not around. When you're not around, when you're off doing something else, they are bold enough to still touch your stuff. But oftentimes when you have built up that reputation with these demons, what they will do is they will stay away from your stuff when you're not around. Because if you catch, you know, they know that when you catch up to them, when you get back to your stuff, you're going to track down whoever took it and it's going to be way worse for them. You're going to torture them way longer. You're going to have fun doing it. I enjoy my job. I really do, but it can get overwhelming, but that's only usually because of the different individuals around me who take full advantage of my soft spot for them, my love for them. My family members make this process so much longer. If they weren't, I don't like to blame everything on the people around me, but if these individuals weren't as wicked as they are and as jealous as they are of my destiny, then I would have gotten so much more done. I would not be as tired and I would be able to save so many more people without as many mistakes or without risking as many lives as I do. This frustrates me so much because it's like you're jealous of me, but you're willing to risk whoever and however and whatever in the process in order to get to me. You don't understand. 
You don't understand. Like, and if I cannot even save your soul because you're so confident in the fact that because I work so hard, you're definitely going. But the fact of the matter is, if I can't save your soul, you need to understand that when you get to hell, they are going to make you pay for each and every single last person that you risked in the process just to prove a point or just because you were jealous of my destiny. I can't protect you from that. Once it's done, it's done. I can protect you now. You're taking full advantage of it. I promise you they will take full advantage of you when you get to hell. If you're going. And I'm fighting. And that's not to say that I will miss the opportunity to keep you from it. That's just to say that if I cannot save you because of your attitude, because you are so desperate for attention, because you need to, you know, feel as if you are a part of this hard work that God is doing in and through me. You're just risking yourself. You don't understand how these things come back full circle. What goes around comes around. You reap what you sow. Do not be deceived for God is not mocked for whatever you reap you will sow. Everything that you do, every single thing that you do, God sees. He is taking account of it. And I, and trust me, I am definitely taking account of the fact that this actually applies to me as well. I am not innocent. I'm not perfect. I'm not the perfect individual. I'm not the perfect person. I make mistakes too. He's holding my mistakes accountable as well. Every single last little thing that I do. But if I can help anybody, I will help them by telling them, start with yourself. Start with you. So oftentimes I'm doing it and then it's unfortunate because a lot of people around me or certain people around me feel like because I'm holding myself accountable first and I'm trying to do all the work that I could possibly do myself to make myself 100% what I need to be before I ever come and check you about anything you're doing. That is okay to continuously make it harder for me to do the work in myself so that I can never get to you. But as I said, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So if you don't fear God, despite what it is that I'm saying, even if you have a problem with me or issue with how I do things, or you just want to destroy whatever it is that I'm trying to build up for whatever reason you have it. If you don't have a fear of God, seeing that God is behind what I'm doing and using me, if you don't have a fear of him, then you're just a fool. You are a fool. And that's what the Bible says. I know that the Bible says that calling someone a fool is being in danger of hellfire. Telling someone that they will go to hell is being in danger of hellfire. But I'm quoting scripture right now. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. He who lacks fear of God is a fool. You're a fool because you do not have fear of God. And the fear of God is despite whatever issue I have with you, I understand that I'm going to have to take this up with God one day. So let me stay off you. Let me stay away from you. Let me leave you alone. Because I might get away with it now. I might be able to get to you now. But later on, God is going to get to me. You lack that. You lack wisdom. I've experienced those type of people. And I think that they're the worst kind of people. There are people who come around and they may be, you know, challenging me more as far as intellectually or even when it comes to integrity or even when it comes to determination or ambition other people may challenge me in those ways but they are never more of a threat than the people who lack fear of God because the people who lack fear of God they do not care they don't care they don't think they don't understand what they're risking and they will never learn their way 
worse. Way worse. People who are, you know, actually reaching certain heights with certain things, with their power and their ambition and other things that they're doing, who may even be a challenge. You know, these people, they won't even deal with the people who lack fear of God or who lack understanding in that area because it's pointless. It doesn't matter what you do or how much time you waste on them. They're still going to be that way. They're still going to do whatever it is they're doing. And you know what their excuse is? I don't care. At least I got you to waste more time on me so you can't do nothing else. I don't care. At least I got you to, you know, to waste all this energy on me. I don't care how much you hurt me. I don't care what you put me through. I don't care what you do to me. As long as I get to bother you, it bothered you, I'm good with that. Like you tell them the consequences, the long-term consequences of what they're going to go through and what's happening and what's going to happen to them. And they're just like, I don't care. I got to you, didn't I? That's all that matters. They can't see past it. They don't care. They don't plan things out. They don't think. And when God is speaking, they don't, you know, shiver. They don't, you know, (laughs) they don't even consider, you know, they don't take heed. God told me that when I was younger, way younger. He said, take heed. And he said it with so much conviction. I've never, I never before that heard God speak as sternly to me. He said, take heed. I said, what does that mean, God? What does that mean? You keep saying that to me. You keep saying that to me. And he said, it means be warned. And right after that, he had my dad speak through. He spoke through my dad to me. My dad came to me. He said, listen, I'm trying to tell you that the route that you're going is wrong. God is not pleased with you. He said, I was just like you. I was hard-headed. I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do, and I would not listen no matter how many times God warned me. He said, God sat me down for real. Ever since, I have not been the same. Ever since, I know better. You need to listen. I'm trying to warn you before that has to happen to you, before it's too late. You need to listen to me because I love you. That's what my dad said to me right before exactly what he said would happen to me happened to me. The whole time God said, take heed, be warned. So everything that I'm going through right now, I know is, it's all, it all matters. It all counts. It all has a lot to do with, with all these different experiences I've had that God has made, known, made himself known through and in. He said, I remind him of King Solomon. And so he gave me wisdom. He did this when I was about 19 or 20 years old. At the time, he only reminded me about the part of Solomon. That when he asked Solomon for whatever he wanted in the world. Solomon said. He just wanted wisdom to be able to guide his people because he knew that he was placing him in front of a bunch of different people. And he knew that he would not be able to handle each and every single last request or or be able to guide them correctly without God. And this is what's so amazing to me. 
you know, you have to be favored to have that kind of mindset, period. Period, you have to be favored. I know it because I've experienced it. What was going through my mind at the time when this happened, and this, and, and King Solomon wasn't even on my mind at the time, not not specifically, because at the time this was just, I was rarely comparing myself to biblical characters because I felt as if they were just so much better than people today. Like, I could never be in, like anybody in that Bible. They're way more faithful. They're way more trusting. They way, they believe in you way more. They understand you way more. They listen to you when you talk. I could never be like them. That's how I felt. But he showed me differently that I already was, that we already are. And not, nothing has changed from back then when this Bible was made and written to today. Nothing has changed in people. Nothing. We are still the same people. We do the same things. We have the same behavior. That's something God has made very clear to me in the past couple of years. We are the same people. The same people. When he gave me my assignment, he said, we're the same people. When I begged him for another opportunity in order to make good on our promise, he said, we are the same people. We are the same people. The same people that was in the wilderness 40 years complaining, even after we were released from slavery for over 400 years. The same people who worship false God in two weeks after God showed miracles and pulled us out of Egypt when we were being beaten and enslaved and forced to make brick without straw. The same people were the same people who broke our promise to God when he kept his. So I don't blame God for being hesitant about his promise making you know giving us another chance to make good on that promise because we broke it before we probably break it again we're the same people but another thing I also want to add though he is still giving us opportunity I think that you know something that it feels that he's exposing to me is that he probably gives us an opportunity with every every new generation Every new generation that is born, he gives us another opportunity to make good on our promise. We're the same people. That's why he keeps stressing it. We never keep this promise. If you look all throughout the Bible from front to back, all we ever do is turn our back on God after he keeps his promise over and over and over and over and over again to us. Every once in a while, it comes somebody who's faithful, who he can use. Good enough that he can use them. But overall... We decide to turn our back on him and worship other things because we take advantage of God, and his kindness and his love for us, expecting him to always be there. But what would it be like if we lived in a world without God? Just like we take advantage of our parents. This is my mom. This is my dad. They're always going to be there for me. But then when they're not, it's a totally different story. All you can think about is all the times that you took them for granted. That's God. So, I realized that all the issues I'm going through and the struggling that I'm going through and the things that I'm facing, the things that I'm dealing with, all the abuse and neglect and taking advantage and being taken for granted and not being appreciated enough and being played over is, I've, is what I've sown. 
after playing over God and all of his messages and all of his guidance for so many years, even though God is still saying to me, you may have strayed, but you did not stray far. So I have been brainstorming. What did he mean by that? And what would straying far have looked like? And so I look back around the time when he said it to me. When God said this to me, I was a young teenager, around 14 or 15 years old. And I was starting to become so beautiful. I was starting to become a woman. I really was starting to fill out and shape out. And I was starting to become noticed by men, like so much more than I was used to. I may have been even naive enough to believe that I can handle all the attention when I just, I'm realizing now, 10 years later, that I had no clue what I was dealing with. I had no clue what these guys were up to. I had no clue the intentions of these men. And I really thought I knew it all then. So just the, that's how dangerous ignorance can be. That's how dangerous ignorance can be. But regardless of anything around this time, I was feeling out and I was starting to become and look more like a woman. And what happened was, you know, my attitude was I can never leave out the house, not even to go on a porch or down the street to the corner store without looking my best. My hair has to be done. You know, my outfit has to be has to be nice. <clears throat> I have to look like I planned for this because you just never know where you might meet your husband. And I kept getting that message. I kept getting this message, even though I never cared for real about this part. It's just like I just didn't want anybody to catch me off guard. But. I kept getting a message around this time, like, you don't know where you'll meet your husband. You don't know where you'll meet your husband. Always come outside ready, dressed and ready, because you don't know where you'll meet your husband. You might slack off one day, and that may be the day you meet your husband. And I always kept saying, why do I keep hearing this husband thing as if I'm going to be ready to be married at 15 years old? But, you know, still, I will always come dressed and ready. I would not want to go nowhere. It would take me two hours to get ready every single day, no matter where I was going. My dad asked me to go to the corner store to get some milk. It would take me two hours to go do it. This is how I was. But then I started feeling more of a pressure, more pressure. And the pressure was like, you have it. You can do it. You need to do everything. I have your eyelashes on point all the time. Have your eyebrows done. Always have your nails done. Always have your hair done. You know, start, you know, getting into the mindset where you want to start wearing designer clothes and designer bags or really elevating your your um, wardrobe. Start hanging out with better company. You can start driving and wear heels every day if you want to. All this stuff, I just start being guided towards being more, you know, just being just elevating so I can be a hundred percent on a hundred percent on ten everywhere I go at all times. At that point I probably was doing like eight out of ten. I probably was being like an eight out of ten because I said I can't do ten out of ten around here. I don't do nothing but hang around the house. I don't even go off the street. If I'm looking like a 10 out of 10 around here, they just going to start hating on me. And then I'm not going to have any friends. And then I'm going to have to turn into the kind of girl that, you know, embraces the haters around her because, you know, I'd rather have these girls hating around me make me feel good about myself. If you're not hating, then I must not be doing something right. I never wanted that attitude. I never wanted the attitude that felt like 
if you're not hating on me, that I'm not doing something right. Because I knew that if I start feeling like keep your friends close, but your enemies closer and start keeping an attitude, like I want them hating on me. It makes it lets me know that I'm really the hottest around. Or if I started trying to be the it girl, the leader of the crowd and have everybody following behind me and, you know, start hitting moves like that where I'm now I want to date the it guy and I want to be in the club and I want to be the center of attention and now I want everybody to know who I am. I want everybody, you know, jealous of me, hating on me and I just embrace it and I become that type of person. If I start becoming that type of person, that's an empty life. I will be running away from who I really am because that's not how my heart is. My heart does not feel good when people feel bad around me. If you feel like I'm outshining you, I don't want to outshine you. If you feel like I am, you know, like you you can't even hold a torch to me, I don't want you to feel that way. I'm not better than you. I don't want you to feel like, you know, like feel bad about yourself because I look so good. I don't ever want that. You know, anyone who embraces that, you feel so bad about yourself because I look so good. And that just shows me like you ain't got nothing on me. You will never have nothing on me. I'm really hurt to you. I'm that girl. And so so on and so forth. That's all you will ever have. That is all you will ever have. You will never have real joy, peace, happiness, and fulfillment in your heart that Jesus Christ offers because you you already gave up on beauty on the inside. You don't want to be a beautiful person from the inside out. You cannot feed on other people's insecurities. That is so disgusting. So I said no. I started re I started refusing. I started fighting it, and I started deciding like, no, I'd rather be a beautiful person on the inside. And even though I'm not being my best. Not the best I could possibly be. Maybe it's just not meant to be. Because if I can't find a way to be the best that I can possibly be without ever feeling as if I have to feed off of the insecurities or the, you know, what is the word I'm looking for? The the sadness of the women around me, the girls around me, you know? If I have to be the leader of a group, you know, everybody following behind me like they're my pets. They got to I got to always be in control of everything. I got to, you know, I got to be number one. If I have to be that kind of girl. Like. I won't be I won't feel I don't need it. And so, of course, I wanted that, though. Not that lifestyle where I'm feeding off everybody else, but I wanted to be able to be at my best and be shiny and really be so beautiful. I just didn't want it at the expense of everyone else around me. So I said, it's possible. It's possible for me to be that person and not it not be at the expense of everybody else around me. It just has to be done in God. I have to become everything that I am supposed to be in God, and he will glorify me like that. When he's glorified, he will glorify me like that. He will make me shine. But I have to stay down till I come up. I can't just do it now. I can't just skip the steps. I can't just say, well, who cares about being a good person? That'll catch up. And then I'll do this now. No, this will catch up. And I'll I'll be a good person now. So I made my choice. I made my decision. And 
it, I suffered so much because of it. Because a lot of people assume I was afraid. A lot of people assume I was scared. They said, you scared for real. You're scared that you scared of the pressure that come with being an it girl. So you play the background. And I think I think that's weak. You know, and people would, you know, draw their conclusions or they think that I'm not even capable. You're not capable of being an it girl. That's why you're not. If you could do it, you would. They didn't believe that I was actually, you know, intentionally not allowing myself to go down that route or or step into that quite yet because I was not ready. Well, I was always ready, but, you know, I wanted God to make my heart ready. But then people will also think like, you know, You'll never have it. You'll never have it the way that you want to have it. So the people, so thing is, people will try and make it, all these excuses, but they will always come come back to the conclusion of what it really is. You are intentional about what you are doing, and you know what kind of person you're choosing to be. And the only reason that they notice is because of that fact, probably most likely. You know, so then they start to realize, like, okay, so you're choosing not to be that kind of person. Well, you'll never get it that way. God's not going to. You know, make sure you are a 100% good person and you look real good, too. You're 100% on the outside, too. God's not going to do all of that for you. He's not going to make sure you get everything the right way. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get there, and I'm going to make sure of it. And I never realized that I was starting to create enemies when I tried to avoid it. So the question did arise lately. Do it, would it, do it even, did it even matter? Would it have ever mattered that I decided not to become that type of person or be at my best? Did I only slight myself? Did it never even make a difference? When it comes down to it, could I have still been that person and decided to let my heart catch up later and it would have been the same? Because it feels like I'm meeting people who did that. There's people who decided to shine first and then let their heart and and their feelings and their character catch up later and now they get to work on that now. You know, and it's starting to match up right with me where I worked on my character and my feelings and my heart. But now the shine can start to catch up now. It's probably going to come really soon. But the issue, the issue with that is that I would never let the devil lie to me. I'm not better than nobody. I would never feel as if I'm better than nobody. But the devil is a liar. Always choose the inside first. Always choose the inside first. Even if you feel like it's going to align evenly no matter what it is that you do. And that's just for the people who still care about being a good person. As long as you care about being a good person, that's really all that matters. I don't want to make you feel bad because you chose a different route at first. If you still have the opportunity to be a good person and do all the work right now, nobody's judging you. You're not less than, you know. I'm just saying that, you know, it feels that it feels that it feels as if this may have been what set me apart. And God definitely made it clear that he was not allowing me to stray in that direction where I wanted to do that and appear as if I was winning before I actually did the work in my heart and in my soul with him. So I think that that matters first and foremost. So. That would be my advice.
But also keeping in mind that oftentimes it's very difficult. It's very difficult to take someone else's advice in your own life. Nobody would know what it's like to walk a mile in your shoes. You you have to decide what you feel like you want to do. You have to decide what dire- direction you feel like you want to go in. God told me when I was younger, when I made a lot of mistakes, he said, you actually can listen and take heed right now and not have to go learn, learn and find out the hard way that's possible. But I didn't feel like it was. I mean, I knew that it was, but I still had to go see for myself. So I understand that. I I understand that feeling. I understand that urge. And I also want to say that whether good or bad, each and every single last experience made me exactly who I was today. And everything happens for a reason. Never feel bad. Never feel bad about the decisions or the mistakes that you made in your life. Because they are exactly what you needed in order to get to your destiny where you'll one day be. It matters. It does matter. Don't think you're better than anybody else. Don't judge anyone. But another thing is that I still would encourage anybody who had the opportunity to learn from somebody else's experience and not go see for yourself or just listen to God. If he's talking to you right now, because I know he talks to all of us at, the, at different times. If he's talking to you, he's telling you something. Don't go see for yourself. It's much of an urge you feel that you have to, you know, learn from experience. Don't. Don't. Just listen to him. He's right. You know, spoiler alert. You don't have to finish the book or the movie. He's right. At the end of the day, he's right. At the end of the day, everything that he told you or he's telling you turns out to be the truth. At the end of the day, you could have avoided it. So I never was able to just hear that and and not and stay away from certain things. So I'm not expecting that from you, but that is my advice. And I, I remember hearing it so many times, I feel like it sounds like, you know... The same old record, the same old song, but man, I wish I would have listened. I used to always see these posts like, if you could go back to tell your your younger self right now, if you can go back in time and be your younger self with everything that you learn right now, would you do it? I used to always see these posts and I used to think like, funny because like I just don't feel like it's nothing super major in my life that I need I feel I need to go back with all the information I have now but I still would I still would because whatever it is that I feel like could have been differently or I could have changed like at the time it wasn't nothing bigger than like that $20 I lost I would have told myself you know you're gonna lose this $20 you know or you know that party I missed, I would have told myself, hey, if you go here and do this today, you're going to miss this party. You know, it wasn't nothing more major than that. Now it's something so much bigger and I still wouldn't go back. I wouldn't go back. I prayed so many years for a time machine. I would not go back. I really wouldn't go back because God blessed me with the spiritual gift of no regret. I do not regret anything. I'm 100% grateful for everything.
no worry. He blessed me with the spiritual gift of no worry. I do not worry about a thing. Nothing. Spiritually, I don't worry about anything. Anytime it feels as if I'm worrying, the devil is a liar. He's lying to me. He realizes that God already tackled that. So he shows up trying to make it seem as if I'm worrying in order to, you know, because he's so upset about it. Every time he realizes, I, I don't worry about a thing. I'm not worrying anymore. He used to be able to make me worry. God tackled that. He gets so mad. He just, you know, tries to make it look as if I'm worried. And God is tackling that right now, too. So he will never be able to do that. You have to operate in the spirit and come out of the flesh, come out of this world for you to realize who you are spiritually because you probably have been made perfect by God. And the devil wants you to believe that you have all these flaws. He's lying. He's a liar all day, every day. He's trying to keep you from your destiny. And it's sad because you see people who have been kept from their destiny and you want to take whatever advice that it is that they have to in order to prevent that from happening to you. But most of all, the best advice and the only advice that you should already know is trust God throughout it all. Do not give up on him. And no matter what, wherever you land, you'll be okay. But... No fear. No fear. No regret. No worry. No fear. Everything's going to be great. I've learned so much. I've learned so much. Everything's going to work out. So... I'm fighting and battling so many different things in the spirit right now. It's like I'm on a whole nother level. God is fighting and battling so many different things in the spirit through me. He's taking me and brought me to a whole nother level. These things I feel do matter though. And I've never been the type to worry so much about a wedding or marriage. But he's screaming it at me. He won't stop screaming at it. Like... All day, every day, it's like wedding dress, bridesmaids, get ready for a wedding, get ready for the life that you plan for, get ready for everything you said you ever was going to do, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, it's coming, it's coming. I see bridesmaids, I see wedding, I see groomsmen, I see love, I see godly husband, I see kingdom marriage, I see all this stuff, I see it all day, every day, I can't get it out of my head, out of my face, out of my, out of everything, and it's like... You know, when you ask God for a sign and he hits you with the sign, that's what it feels like. But I'm still not accepting that fully. I won't accept it fully because I, I say I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'll know when I'm ready. God tells me that I'll know when I'm ready. And if he's been right about everything else, he's right about that too. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. And I haven't met anybody yet. I'm not dating anybody. I feel miles and miles and miles away from a marriage. And like how dysfunctional my family has been lately. Who's even going to attend this wedding? Who's going to be my bridesmaid? Who's going to be my maid of honor? Who's going to give me away? Who's going to do these things? God, I feel that God has a, has a duty to fix that first. 
or at least give me a family if they don't want to be it. At this point, I'm believing that if I get married right now, they would do everything in their power to destroy that day for me. It's not even a point in inviting them. They don't want to be there. They don't want to see that happen for me. They don't want this. So why would God be screaming marriage as if everything is just in place in order for that to happen so happily right now? I don't want to fake it. I don't want to get up there and be like, oh my gosh, we're such a big, happy family. And this is the best day of my life when it's really the worst. And then I have to fight and do everything in my power to fight the demons off of my family. To keep them from destroying and doing everything in their power to act out. And make sure that that day is the worst day of my life. And if that's not it, if that's not the worst thing that goes with that, they also are going to try and ensure that whoever I marry makes sure that every day for the rest of my life is the worst thing, is worse. It's just, they're trying to ensure that I am trapped in a marriage worse with somebody worse than they've been with with me my entire life I'm convinced and you think that somebody is crazy by saying this nobody ever says this for no reason you ever heard of arranged marriages I haven't not in 2022 in America but it feels as if this is what is happening and you think it's a joke until it happens to you people will put witchcraft on you to ensure that you marry the wrong person to force you into a divorce. To force you into sin. What are the signs? Well, a sign is someone who does not take marriage seriously. They say they want to get married to you, but they don't want to let go of each and every single other individual or person that they are still talking to. They expect for you all to get married and those people to still have contact with them. That's a red flag. You don't take marriage seriously at all. You think that you're supposed to walk down the aisle, you know, say till death do you part and give your vows in front of God in heaven. And you're still supposed to be able to live the same single life that you've been living. Oh, this is just a person. This is just a person that I would just be coming home to. But I'll still be able to do whatever I want. I'll still be able to call whoever. I'll still be able to cheat. I'll still be able to lie. I'll still be able to steal. I'll still be able to do whatever I want. This is just a look. It's just it's not just a look. God is looking down on you. He do not respect that. You ever come into a union with somebody in marriage, you're gonna come in in a union with God, with that person. If you don't take it seriously, like you both will suffer so much more and divorce and remarriage is worse than ever being married. You have to take these things seriously. Another red flag. Even if they are taking it seriously and willing to leave behind the life that they have now, they're not considering how the life that they have now will affect the life that they have or are trying to walk into. They're not tying up loose ends. They're just saying, okay, I can leave it all behind, but I don't actually plan on what that's going to mean in the future. I'll move forward with you right now. And then in the future, when all this stuff comes back to bite, we'll just figure it out then. That is, it feels like screaming divorce. 
We're going to get a divorce because when all this stuff catch up to us, because we didn't care and we were so careless, we're going to start to have issues. We're going to start to, you know, argue. We're going to start to fight. And then we're going to want to be away from each other because we didn't plan this. We didn't plan for it. We didn't see if we were able to even withstand a storm like this. People, people don't take marriage seriously. I don't believe in divorce. I never have, even as a child, when I wasn't even planning for marriage, I never believed in divorce. I don't believe in it. And the reason why I didn't take that seriously, I thought that I don't believe in divorce seriously. The reason why I didn't take it seriously at the time, even though I took it so seriously to me, is because I said, what do I know about marriage or divorce? I'm young. I'm naive. I'm ignorant. I don't know anything about it. I've never, is there's not a lot of good representations of marriage around me. I'm ignorant to that whole entire lifestyle. I don't have good examples. I don't have a lot of knowledge about it. What do I know about it? So I didn't speak about it, but I never believed in it. And I know that that was God. I never believed in abortion. I never believed in worshiping any God outside of God. These things matter. These things matter. These are core values that people need to hold on to. If I could ever teach anybody, if anybody ever cared about my secret, if I have one, it's not even a secret. He'll tell you, God will tell you the same thing. But if anybody ever cared about anything that helped me get to the place that I am now or where I will one day be, if anybody wants that, if they want my advice, my testimony, if it matters to you at all, these core values are really what God is screaming is what shaped who I am today. I do not believe in divorce. I do not believe in being unfaithful to God. I mean, of course, I may be unfaithful to God with my sin. I may be unfaithful to God with my turning back to habitual sin and not behaving or being 100% obedient to God in all times. That is a definition or an example of unfaithful. But I would never, ever, ever in my life worship Satan. Never. If you ever worship anything outside of God, you're worshiping Satan. And I just want to say and I just want to add that you are not here responsible for what you do not know. So if you participate in something like tarot card reading, meditation, or yoga, zodiac signs, or something of that nature or magnitude, you are not held accountable for that if you did not know that if it's not God, it's Satan, that that was worshiping or having ties to that world. But if you intentionally, intentionally choose Satan over God, you are giving away your virginity. I'm still a virgin. So that just goes to show that my ignorance to a lot of these different new age beliefs, so-called new age beliefs, because ain't nothing new about it. That is a testament to the fact that because I didn't know, I'm not held accountable. These things never took my virginity. The only time your virginity will ever be taken is if you consciously, intentionally, fully aware of everything that you are doing, give your soul to Satan. If you worship him and don't say only millionaires and rich people and celebrities are doing that. Absolutely not. It's a lot of everyday people that's walking the street right now that have intentionally and knowingly done that. It's very common. Not as common as Satan wants you to believe in order to deter you away from God. But it is common. More common than you may realize. 
Don't ever think it cannot happen to you either. Stay on your toes. Be intentional about choosing God. Know that you love him. Choose him through all whatever. Be willing to go through whatever for him. Fear nothing but him. Because Satan will come for you if he feel like you will make it out of this without ever having chose him. So, this is something that I'm experiencing, I'm going through. God has such a deep calling on my life that the per- the woman that I've seen in my future even scares me. No wonder she scares everybody else. Who's not on the same page, of course. So, I just want to be able to help anybody with whatever it is that I know all the way up until this point. I know there's more for me to learn. But whatever whatever information I have now, I want to help. So, that being said, you know, my prayers go out to anybody who needs guidance or confirmation from God about your future. Choose him. I promise you. When he say that he offered the best everything and that you will never get everything you've ever wanted in the best way, he knows your heart, he knows how you want it, and he elevates it so much way past anything you could have imagined. Kind of like when you put an order in on something and they come back with having blown your mind with all your ideas incorporated. That's God every single time. When I'm telling you when he says that he means it and it's true, Wait for him. Wait for him. You are a virgin if you never worship Satan knowingly. You are a virgin. Do not let Satan take your virginity. He just like an F boy. He do not care about you. He do not. He will never care about you. He just wants your virginity. Then he's going to toss you to the side and treat you like trash, like you never matter. But that, you're not trash to God. God will still pick you up. But I'm just saying, keep it. Stay faithful to God. Don't always test him. Like, God, if this happens, will you still have my back? God, if that happens, will you still have my back? Don't let it happen. Because you shouldn't have to suffer in the process in order for God to prove that he has your back. He has it now. So... Oh, that's another thing. I just want to end this off with. If you do decide to go see for yourself, if you do say, you know, well, what's what's the worst that could happen? If I'm if nothing's going to happen and God is always going to be there and he's always going to remain faithful to me, he's always going to love me no matter what I do, then I'm just going to do whatever I want to do then. I mean, I'm, I might as well live my life to the fullest and go see what's out there and go explore all these different avenues and all these different things. If you have that in your heart, which we understand is that the reason why he's telling you is because it's not going to hurt. It's going to hurt him 10 times more than it hurts you, but it's going to hurt you. He's trying to prevent you from being hurt years later when that pain, that wound has finally healed. If it finally heals, if you allow God to heal you, you will have wished that you didn't have to go see for yourself that you just listen. What is the point of a big unnecessary scar on your heart? If it can be avoided, yes, you learn from it, but you didn't have to. I'm very proud of everything I've learned in this process, though. I will say that I would never tell nobody that, you know, I'm not extremely happy. Everything, every lesson God has taught me, everything he's brought me through. But that still doesn't change the fact that 
you know, probably a million times throughout the process of whatever lesson I've learned. I wish I didn't have to learn it the hard way. So that's my advice. Listen to him. Don't learn it the hard way. You know, not me, him. So that means get into the presence of God, build a rapport with God, build a relationship with him. Oh, and the best advice I got lately, no relationship ever is built or goes very far when you only spend two to three minutes or just a little bit of time with them every day. Your real relationships in life, don't you spend like so much time around them? And if you're not so spending so much time around them, don't you spend so much time thinking about them? The relationships that really are solid, the relationships that aren't going anywhere, the relationships of the people who really mean something to you, that's God. You should be thinking about him all day. Nothing else. He should always be on your heart. Thinking about him first and foremost above everything, that's how you build your relationship with God. That's how you build up your rapport with God. And spending as much time as you possibly can with him and loving it, not making it a chore. Because when you spend time with whoever else it is out here that you like so much and you want to be around, it don't feel like a chore to you. The hours pass by. You can never get enough. You can never get enough of being in their presence. That's how you should treat God. Like not, oh, it's done. If you were to treat anybody like that in this world, they wouldn't even like you. You wouldn't like them. You don't like them. So imagine how God feels. When you idolize your relationships in this world or you idolize these different things that you spend so much time with over him. I'm learning this. It's the best advice I got lately. So that is my advice. And I pray that that helps somebody because it just hit home. It meant so much to me when I heard that because I'm just like, that is so true. Oftentimes, all day, every day, what is God repeating to me? Stop complaining. Stop complaining. Stop complaining about it. Stop complaining about it. Just thank him. Just thank him. Just thank him. I love being in God's presence. I really do. I love being in his presence that I will go in his presence and never come back out ever again for nothing in this whole world. That's how much I love being in God's presence. For real. He would have to force me out of his presence. But lately I've been fighting and battling so many different demons and Satan who constantly distracts me from God and is fighting me out of God's presence in order to strengthen my ability to stay in it despite whatever I am faced. It's a challenge and it's a it's a test of my strength in areas that I lack, like patience or understanding or just the ability to depend on and trust and have faith in God no matter what it looks like. Because oftentimes we say we love God so much, but the first time we have any sign of trouble, we're already ready to curse his name. So I'm being tested, and I understand that. So that's not the issue, but the issue is complaining about not being able to be in his presence as freely as I once did. I complain about it all the time, and I'm working on it right now. So God is showing me that, you know, stop complaining. Thank him more. Be more grateful. Gratitude. God loves it. If you have nothing else but gratitude, you will be favored.